0: Hello, film-loving world. My name is John Barber, and I'm your host for Fixed in Post, the Rabbit Room podcast about all things movies. Not only do we talk about the movies we love, but we also discuss how we'd fix their problems if someone gave us the editing suite for a few hours. This time on Fixed in Post, we tackle one of the most highly controversial films of the year, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Special thanks go out to Andrew Osinga for our theme music. Let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fixed in Post, the Rabbit Room podcast, where we talk about all things movies. I'm joined here, as always, by the executive director of the Rabbit Room, Pete Peterson. Say hi, Pete. Hello, hello. And before we get to our feature conversation today, which is going to be about the new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I just want to throw out a question that we ask every week, which is, what are
1: you watching these days? So, Pete, what are you watching these days? Man, that's a tough question because I feel like the whole theater industry right now is in some kind of like barren wasteland <laughs> of, of good movies. Uh, I, I have a lot of time on my hands here in the last couple of weeks and I keep wanting to go to a movie and I look around and there's just nothing to see. Uh, uh, so what I have seen was the movie we're going to talk about later and Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, man. Like I, I, I hate everything about the whole Fast and Furious, you know, franchise. So there was let's face it, no chance I was going to like this movie. But I liked it even less than I thought I would. Like I just oh man, it's so, so deeply offensively bad that uh I don't need to even talk about it anymore. That's all I have to say about that. Well
0: so I got real excited about a month ago because Regal Cinemas, which is like the predominant theater yeah. chain in Knoxville. They're based in Knoxville. They debuted their Regal Unlimited package. 20 bucks a month, and literally you can go see as many movies as you want at, at any of the theaters here in town. And that, for me, was like a no-brainer. So I snapped that up. It works great. And I was like, I'm going to the movies all the time. The only problem is, there is nothing that I <laughs> want to see right now. I mean... Yeah. Nothing. I've been trying. Last night I did go uh, see the new movie Ready or Not, which was pretty stupid but kind of fun. And uh, I'll probably I probably will break down and see Hobbs and Shaw at some point cuz unlike you I actually do like the Fast and the Furious movies. Why? Because for me they're like they're basically superhero movies.
1: Yeah. And didn't make it um, any better.
0: Yeah, I just think they're they're fun. I like I go I go watch Fast and the Furious and then like I get back in my car and get on the interstate and like and feel like noises, driving a like, hundred. Yes, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's super fun and stupid and yeah. I don't care. And like, it's fine. And then now, now that I have the Regal Unlimited thing, like I feel like I don't have to have a justification
1: because <laughs> I'm not that spending another $12. That is fair. <laughs> and and uh, I do. I should go ahead and point out too that, well, I said that there's nothing worth seeing. And it's not entirely true. I really want to see Blinded by the Light. Yeah, me but too. But I promised my wife that I won't watch it till I can watch it with her. So it's going to be a while before I get a chance to see that. And then I also would love to see Yesterday, but that hasn't been showing around here for whatever reason.
0: Well, it's it's gone. So That's a shame. It came and went, I think. Um, and there's a couple of like, art house films that I want to see, like The Farewell.
1: Oh, you know what? There is there is that new cut of Apocalypse Now out there is hitting that. some IMAX theaters. And if that shows up around here, I'm all in.
0: Um, yeah. And actually, my, my Regal thing works for IMAX and 3D and everything. You just have to pay a little bit of a surcharge. Nice. So I haven't seen Apocalypse Now in a long time, but I would love to. And everything I've heard about this new cut is that it's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, okay.
0: Before we divulge how we feel about the movie, let me just intro it to, to maybe people don't know that much about it. They hear the name Tarantino and they think a very specific
1: thing and um they might not well maybe we should talk about our individual relationships with tarantino films before we hit this one sure is that where you
0: were going uh no but it's but it's okay let's start there why don't you go first
1: well okay so i've been a tarantino fan for a long time since reservoir dogs uh pulp fiction you know the kill bill movies like i uh adore his ability to uh use film to tell stories but I've always had a conflicted relationship with uh, his the way he depicts violence. Mm-hmm. And my biggest frustration with it is that it's getting worse over time. Like, it, uh, you know, early on, there's always been violence in his movies. And it's always suited the movie for various reasons. But I feel like over the last few movies, he's indulging that dark side of his imagination in in ways that i have less and less ability to justify and uh you know the the, what was the last one the hateful eight Mm -hmm. like i really hated that movie because i feel like it it did nothing to justify what i was being put through to watch it you know it didn't have anything greater to say about the world in the way that inglorious bastards did you know so you know if i'm going to sit through a deeply violent movie i need to feel like it was worth my time and uh More and more, I felt like Tarantino is not making it worth my time. And I will talk more about that once we talk about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, and and my relationship is pretty similar. I mean, I think I probably saw Pulp Fiction first, but I think uh, for people, and I think particularly men in sort of our age bracket, Tarantino came along at a time where his movies became foundational for a lot yeah. of us in the way we think about film um, we kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s
1: and we had never seen anything like pulp fiction not only have we never seen anything like it but he was using our the film language that we grew up on correct so all of his references were kind of like it very intuitive for me yes like the the, the way he would set up shots uh the way he would uh reference other things like everything was immediately recognizable as uh, having grown out of kind of the compost of my film imagination uh
0: yeah and and i think when it comes to the references and the nostalgia factor when we get to once upon a time in hollywood that's a huge part of the movie for sure yeah um but it but it, but it's all from a very different time period it doesn't come from the the things that are common to my youth but it does come uh from the things that are common to tarantino's youth and mine how old are you 48 okay i think
1: 47 maybe
0: you're only five or six years depending on if you're 47 or 48 you're only five or six years older than me so
1: i am but a lot of what he references in this movie is uh westerns yep Yep. Of the 60s and 70s. yep, And uh, that's what my dad was watching all yeah. the time. So yeah. that's all really fresh in my mind.
0: I have a very, very similar struggle with you um, with the fetishizing of violence that Tarantino is sort of famous for. And I think as you sort of mature in your film uh, film going, that becomes less and less tasty and more and more bitter in your mouth. Now... I would imagine. And I think preview of coming attractions here that you and I have a different opinion about this movie, but I absolutely agree with you about hateful eight, (laughs) which I was very excited to see. I saw on Christmas day on 70 millimeter, uh, at a packed house. And, and there are things that I like, that I really like about it, but I'm, I'm with you on that.
1: Yeah. You just said something interesting. It's like, as as we mature in the way that we watch films, like the fetishizing of violence gets less and us justifiable yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's my frustration with Tarantino is I don't, I am not convinced at all that he is maturing in any way as a filmmaker. It, you know, I think it's been downhill since Kill Bill in a lot of ways, like his ability to put films together gets better and better, his ability to say anything with his films has evaporated, I think. Before we start
0: with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, let's just say a couple things. First of all, we're going to give spoilers because there's no way to talk about this movie without doing it. So we will spoil certain things. This is an R-rated movie. It's a Tarantino movie. You kind of know what you're signing up for when you walk through the doors or when you buy the ticket. So if movies with a lot of language in it um, and some violence in it, really bother you this is probably one you want to stay away from yeah now that being said pete this is a movie that has probably since pulp fiction the most critical acclaim of a tarantino film the it's his all-time highest box office opening in his career really yep number one and um so i'm curious if you think it deserves those things
1: Absolutely not! Absolutely not! I deeply disliked it. Um, do you want me to go ahead and launch into why? Uh, well, sure. I mean, like from the outset, I'll say that I feel
0: the opposite. It's uh, probably my favorite Tarantino film. I've seen it twice. Um, I would love to go see it a third time in the theater, and I think it's his best movie, and um, and it's my favorite movie of the year.
1: Easy so far. Man, I don't get that at all. So I, tell me like, why I'm wrong. <laughs> oh man, I. Okay, so I hated the movie. Okay. Yeah. But having said that, it is full of amazing performances and what T- Tarantino does best, which is scene writing. There are amazing scenes in this movie. You know, and, and I wish other filmmakers and writers would pay attention, because one of my biggest frustrations with modern filmmaking. Uh, as a whole is the, the the sort of disintegration of the scene as an art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a scene, a good scene has a beginning, a middle, and end. It has an arc to it. You know, every character within that scene has an arc, you know, and uh, we've we've really moved from point A to point B uh, in the space of a few minutes in a good scene. And these days, like most movies, are just cutting from one thing to another, passing information, and you might get two you know, real scenes in an entire film sometimes. Whereas Tarantino, like what he is a master at is writing a scene that is full of tension and that tells a great story. So there are multiple scenes in this film that you could pick out and make a short film on their own. And I love that. So why did I dislike the movie? Um, Um, Before you move on, when you talk about scenes, the one that
0: like jumps out immediately to me um as uh, like the prime example of what you're talking about is cliff at the spawn ranch yeah um which is like a little mini horror film yeah (laughs) stuck in the uh,
1: in the middle of this movie and
0: it's perfect
1: (laughs) yeah it's fantastic and so is the scene you know with uh I don't remember the the DiCaprio characters like uh, with the little girl and Mm -hmm. acting out the scene. Like I feel like there's those two scenes with the girl that you could put together and it's a film on its own and it's masterpiece.
0: So actually fun fact, there's actually four, they shot four Lancer scenes um, and Mm -hmm. they cut two. So maybe one day when we get like the full four hour cut of once Upon a time in Hollywood, we'll get all four of those
1: scenes. Yeah. I'd love to see the rest of it. Yeah. So, yeah, the movie's full of good scenes. I, I will give it that. What I dislike is, uh, I guess my biggest dislike what is the fact that the movie assumes that the audience knows so much. And it's not stuff that we should be reasonably expected to know. So, like, I had a vague idea of who Charles Manson was and, and of the murders that happened. And so during the movie, I'm like, okay, I think... You know, there would be a scene that would take place and I would be like, okay, I think maybe that has something to do with a Charles Manson thing. And then as the movie goes on, there's a particular character, the Sharon Tate character, that seems to be developed throughout the film. And I kept waiting for her, you know, to kind of uh, enter the story and, and for all of that to pay off. And that never happens. And I kind of realized when the movie was over, I was like, okay, so what I think happened is that he, he's kind of given reality an alternate ending. But I had to go home and Google that to make sure I was right. And I I feel like, and so there's something to be said about a movie that's, you know, requires context in order to understand. You know, all art does that. But I felt in this case, like, it was kind of like going to the Modern Art Museum and looking at a Rothko on the wall and having no idea who Mark Rothko was or why this canvas is just a big red square. And if you have no context for understanding that painting or who the artist was or the context out of which he's you know, uh, reacting, then that square is essentially meaningless. And that's how I felt about this movie. Like for most people, this film is meaningless. <laughs> uh, that may be overstating it a little bit, but that was maybe my biggest frustration with it. And so because it requires so much of that external conflict or external context about what happened with the Manson murders and who those people were and who died and who didn't, like uh, the movie doesn't feed you any of that. So if you don't know that, there's nothing you can t- take from this film.
0: Um, I don't agree. And I don't agree for a few reasons. Um, one, one being that this movie is not about the Mansons and it's not about Sharon Tate. It happens around the Mansons, the Manson family, and it happens around Sharon Tate. And I'll talk about Sharon Tate in a minute. But the top two characters in the movie, I mean, are Rick and Cliff. They're Leo and Brad. And it's their movie first. And they're completely fictional characters. They're made up for the movie. And for me, the movie has essentially three priorities. The first one is... To tell the story of what it means to be on the decline, like what it looks like to be on the tail end of your career. So it's Rick's story about Easy Breezy in in the novel that he's reading, right? We we see this guy come to grips with the fact that Hollywood has passed him by, uh, and that to me is the main story of the movie. Secondly, it's a story about the changing of Hollywood. Um, it's this nostalgic look at. The shared Hollywood experience pre 1969. And like, I know everybody doesn't know a lot of details about Manson, but 1969 was the turning point in the sort of hippie movement where it went from peace and love and flower children to uh, a much darker thing. You had the Manson family, you had Altamont, like, all around that time. And things changed dramatically. What is that
1: word? What is that word you said? Altamont. Altamont.
0: Yeah, that was the Rolling Stones concert uh, where somebody got killed by one of the Hell's Angels. Probably never heard of that. Yeah, you should look it up. Watch "Give Me Shelter." (laughs) (laughs) There's a great documentary about it. Uh, But it's a is a major major event, and so it was a major changing of the guard where we went from Flower Children to like really dark. Uh, Vietnam protesting, things like that. So that's the that's the background for all of these things. And so I, I hear what you're saying a little bit about if I don't know that much about Manson, and I didn't know that much about Sharon Tate or Manson, but the movie did the complete opposite thing for me. It didn't frustrate me, it energized me. And so I went and listened to a 12-part podcast series about Charles Manson's Hollywood, and I did all of those things. And I think that the the way that you know that this movie is not about Manson is because Manson's not in the movie. It, Tarantino tells us it's not about Manson by the fact that Manson gets all of 30 seconds in the film. It, this is happening around Manson. It's not happening. It's not Manson's story. It's Cliff's right, story, that.
1: and it's Rick's story. I get that, but if you... T- I get that. So, it, But if Manson and the... And the- what happened with Manson isn't that important, then what the heck is the Sharon Tate character even doing in this movie? No, I didn't say it wasn't important. Well, that was one of my biggest frustrations. Like, I was so bored through most of the movie, even though I was enjoying individual scenes. Like, almost nothing ever develops. Nothing ever goes anywhere. And then when it finally does, I just hated where it went. Yeah, so, and here's where I... Where I'll disagree
0: with you again, because the third priority, and, you know, if I, if, if I had Tarantino in the room with me, he might say this was number one, um, was I think that Tarantino feels like Sharon Tate getting murdered by the Manson family, and as lo- you know, alongside Jay Sebring and Abby Folger and the others. Um, I think that he feels like it was a travesty of justice. And so he did everything he could do as a filmmaker in 2019 to bring her back to life. And so he sets up in this movie, not only the Rick and Cliff storyline, but he allows uh, Sharon Tate to live again. And the way that he does that is by first of all, showing us her life, the things that, that texts and the rest of the Manson family took away from her. He shows us her running errands and folding laundry and listening to records and um, going to the movies and things like that, because those are the things that were robbed from her, and so we get to we get to see them again. But at the end of the movie, and this is why, for instance, I think that this movie is maybe the one Tarantino movie where the violence is completely justified, and I think it's great. And the reason for it is because the actual violence that was done by the Manson family to those victims was much, much, much worse than what you see in this movie. And so Tarantino allows Rick and Cliff to not only save Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and the rest, but also become the thing they have always pretended to be. They've pretended to be right. Right, action heroes. They pretended to be um, you know, I cowboys and whatever, and just for a moment. Not only do they get to do it for real, but the result, there's twofold result. The first result is they save these lives that they don't even know about. And the second result is, and this is the last shot of the movie, is it saves Rick's career, potentially.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I get all that. And I feel like there's a good movie to be made about that. And this is definitely not it. Like, this movie is just, it just fails to do that. And like it failed, like the Sharon Tate character isn't a character. Like it, the thing oh, in the movie agree. theater is kind of nice, but like we don't ever know oh, what she that's... thinks. We don't ever know who she is. Like we don't know what her relationships are like. There's these guys, hang, like Roman Polanski and the the other guy, are hanging around, but you never mm-hmm. actually see her interact with them. I don't know what their relationship is. Like, and so the fact that she's a non-character means that I don't care about her at all. And when she, in the end, continues to prove to be a non-character, why should I care that she was saved? And I, if I even know that, you know, it's just, man, I, it was one of the, like, structurally, I thought it was one of the worst movies. It's the worst movie of Tarantino structurally. I wow. Think. This is fascinating like, to me because, like, I, I feel
0: completely 180 the opposite. Like, the, the, no. tar- the, the Sharon Tate scene in the movie theater is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, it's good. No like I love it and it's um the idea and I know I know where it comes from a little bit because I know that Tarantino has said on more than one occasion like he loves making movies and he loves editing movies and he loves doing soundtracks he loves all those things but the thing that he lives for is to sit in a theater while people watch his movie and hear them respond and laugh at the right times and I wish
1: he'd been in the theater with me <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I love that scene, and I love to see, I love Margot Robbie's performance in that scene.
1: Yeah, she was great.
0: Um, and I I disagree, like I sort of violently disagree with you that she's not a character. Like I said, I, I didn't have much, I mean, maybe a tiny bit more knowledge than you did going into this thing. It's not like I'm in any way an expert on who Sharon Tate is, but I thought she was sort of brilliantly introduced in the the Playboy Mansion scene. Where we get that awesome Steve McQueen
1: explanation of who everybody is. Okay, how was that guy or was that guy not actually Steve McQueen? <laughs> That's like Damien as, as I was watching him act that scene, I, yeah. I literally couldn't remember what yeah uh steve mcqueen actually looked like i'm like oh my gosh i think this is him you know uh, who that the, is right I, like who is it i don't know it was so spot on you know who da- that actor is like no, his who? his most famous
0: role he's the he's the lead in band of brothers he's that's oh, yeah, damian yeah. lewis he's that guy oh and,
1: my gosh
0: yeah he's that guy oh my gosh he's the red-headed i can't remember that's amazing his, his real yeah, name. Yeah, yeah um yeah but the guy from homeland yeah oh uh, yeah i don't watch that book. okay but yeah, that's Damien Lewis, and so you get all the those great little performances of like real people, the yeah. you know Mama Cass and
1: Michelle Phillips and you know whoever. Yeah, um, yeah, there was some great stuff like that, but um, I just I just didn't think it added up to anything. It, like, uh, well, part of what I'm talking about, it's like, okay, The Great Escape is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I love it. And so when they started doing that little Great Escape, yeah. you know riff, yeah, I was super excited. Except that it wasn't even interesting. Like, they didn't do anything interesting with it. They didn't. It was just, it was so lazy. Oh, lazy. Like, uh, wow. Like,
0: <laughs> I don't what, think it was what even happened? They just,
1: they just plugged him in and had him do the lines. Yeah. And it was okay. Yeah. And, like, there was nothing interesting about it other than the fact that, oh, look, let's recreate a, a you know, a fairly minor, uninteresting scene from one of the greatest movies ever made. And I just was like, what? Like, no, really? This is the, what?
0: Explain that. Well, so the way that I read that scene is in that moment, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, whose name I don't remember, is you know talking to Rick about, I heard you almost got the the Steve McQueen role in The Great Escape, right, right. and Rick is, uh, what's the right word? He's playing in it a self deprecating way. He's saying, "Well, not really," yeah. but it, but then the two things are happening. I, I think on one hand, he's imagining himself in the role. Because that's clearly not an audition scene. So he's imagining himself like, what could have been? What could have happened? And then the second thing, and I think this is the most important thing, when you watch that scene, is he's not Steve McQueen. And I think this is the thing that Tarantino hammers, which is that Rick is like a good actor, but he's not Steve McQueen. Like So when you okay. watch that scene, I think the whole point is to say, this is this is a, fan- clearly
1: this not is a fantasy
0: part. scene, and there's no way in heck... That Rick Dalton
1: should have had the Steve McQueen role in in
0: *The Great Escape*, and I think that that's totally the
1: point. Like, I okay, so that's what I thought it was. But again, like the point is so slightly made that like it's not even there, and so it left me just being like, "Huh, okay, that's all. That's that's all we get. All right."
0: And then you take that, and then you put it in like a little bit before his his big like acting moment scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Lancer, and we we see kind of who Rick Dalton is as an actor. And All right. I'm I, just, not,
1: not, yeah, it, I'm just it, not on board, man. It
0: totally works. In the same way that the sort of flashback, did it actually really happen, we're not sure Brad Pitt and uh, Bruce Lee scene works. Right, right. Uh, did it happen like that? Maybe. Did it not happen exactly like that? I don't know. I know it ended in a draw. Yeah. <laughs> like. Do we, yeah. Do we really know? No. Does Tarantino want us to know? No. We want us to think, yeah, maybe it happened that way. Yeah,
1: I just think it's sloppy.
0: Oh Sorry. man, I think it's tight. I think it's it's so funny to me that we're like polar opposites on this thing. I yeah. think it's I think it's nuanced and No. Um it's not sloppy at all. I think it's the like opposite. I felt
1: like he was going for nuance because he normally doesn't. He's pretty <laughs> he's pretty obvious about what he's doing, generally. and that's what I love about this movie. And that's I why like I think he's it's going his most mature. But he doesn't really understand how to do it, and therefore yeah. these touches are too light sometimes, and then too heavy in other points, and it just comes across as a mess to me. No, like another and- another way in which I you know, the, like I literally rolled my eyes in the theater. Is when the the whole like acid-dipped cigarette comes in, and it's like, oh yeah, we have to explain how we got that cut, and like it does that a couple times. This it's just almost like an afterthought, which is just bad writing. I'm sorry. Say it's experimental. Say it's clever. I don't care. It's just bad writing. And then, you know, you've gone through all these hoops to introduce this cigarette, and then when it finally comes into play, it's totally meaningless. What? It's totally. not meaningless at all. It's so to- it's just played for laughs. It's like, oh, so the whole point of that is that, you know, Brad Pitt is just kind of laughing at everything and his d- drug-induced stupor as he kills these people. The, the point like, of it is he, he's tripping when they walk in the house and he doesn't even
0: realize, he doesn't know at first if they're real people. And it takes the moment right. of recognition
1: when he goes like... <laughs> but that's not a plot point. That's a goof. That's a, it's a laugh that you're introducing. And so, and that's a laugh that's not worth the weird way in which they tried to set up that cigarette. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just I'm like, not, if it, like if you're gonna, with you well, on if, that. I thought it was If you're going to fight that hard to get that cigarette into a scene later, it needs to play a big part. And it didn't play a part. Like, if, if, if because he had been high, he had been unable to do something or had been able to do something in a better way that it affected the story, okay, that makes sense. But it didn't. It was meaningless. Yeah, Like, he I, was still able to beat all these people up, just like he would have if he wasn't on acid.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 not with you on that one. I I like sure. Like d- do you lose the the Acid dipped cigarette and much changes maybe not, but I still liked it and I think it still works. Um no, I, man. I think, you know, um the 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 idea that after this trip to Italy the two of them finally let their hair down and this is the fir- you know, it's the first time you see Brad Pitt like sacrifice any bit of control. It's the first time you see him let his guard down ever. Like I, I think it works. I think it sets up that, that final scene just right. Mm-mm. Hated it. Um, and, Hated it. And I could watch Brad. Pitt, Hated everything about that last scene. I could watch Brad Pitt. Like drop, literally everything. Like I could watch Brad Pitt drop cans of dog food into dog bowls. Uh, all, all day long, like I'm on board. That was pretty give, fun. Give me that movie, like both scenes. I'm I'm on board. I love Leo
1: in the pool with his headphones. Okay, so on. hold on. So here is a good point, a good example of what I mean about the cigarette. Okay, the, the dog cans. Yeah, like the dropping of the dog food. Yeah, like that was a running gag that ended up being important. And so, like we get the payoff of all the dog can things when that can of dog food. Finally becomes a we- a, wepo- a devastating weapon. Right. Right? And like so you but that doesn't work with the cigarette. The cigarette has all this setup going on, but then it never pays off. Its payoff is just, oh, so Brad Pitt's a little goofy.
0: Yeah, I don't um That's not what I see. <laughs> just,
1: just trust me on this. It's bad writing. Okay, just Like it's textbook, it's textbook bad.
0: Yeah, I don't uh yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna say it's the best scene in the like that the acid dip cigarette flashback thing. Maybe not be the best scene in the movie, but I'm like it doesn't bother
1: me like that. Well, it wouldn't bother me if it had if it had happened earlier in the movie when it just kind of was like oh so he bought a cigarette whatever. But the way that it's introduced makes it seem like it's of such importance that hey this is information that is gonna be required. It's so important that we had to give it to you non linearly. In this very unnatural way that draws lots of attention to itself. And like from a storytelling mechanical standpoint, like if you're not doing that for a damn good reason, you're wrong.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's shift a little bit because I have a question that I want to ask, which is this scene, this movie in, in a lot of ways is being uh, referred to by critics. And when I say critics, I'm, I mean it in both ways. Like film critics and also like critics of the film as a conservative movie.
1: And I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, if you're talking conservative, as in, you know, it's looking back to the good old days and wanting to return to the good old days when, you know, white people ran everything and, and got their way and saved the day, I, I guess you could argue that. I, I don't know what other context in which you would argue it as conservative. What well, I don't do you know that it's. That?
0: I don't know that it's necessarily a pejorative, but I think that's exactly the the way that people mean it. So instead of this like forward looking um, kind of story, it literally is a look back at this time period in sort of glowing terms about an old Hollywood that probably never actually was, at right. least in the way we look at it. Right now, now in my like. In my mind we we see Like real, how
1: is that different than just saying it's nostalgic?
0: I think the difference would be we want to go back there. Like people would some people would say we, we they long to go back, not just we look back on it fondly. Um but people uh, you know would say that Tarantino goes much farther than that. Which I'm not sure I agree with. I mean, you get Cliff and Rick, who, by the way, are terrible people. Who are... (laughs) They're they're racists, and they're... um, The second time I watched it... misogynist, misogynist. The second time I watched it, I really noticed how much littering they do. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. On the Lancer set, uh, Rick, Leo's character, literally just drinks like one drink out of a cup of coffee and just throws it on the ground. Uh Like, just... Chucks it on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Which is. And so much smoking. So much smoking. That at the very beginning of the movie when they get out of the car and all of the
1: cigarette butts just fall yeah. off of Rick onto the ground. Yeah. So much smoking. <laughs> part Oh, man. There's so much good stuff in this movie. Like, this is part of why I'm so frustrated with it. Like there's so many things that I love about it, like and there are things that Tarantino does so well with his references and his little visual jokes and all that kind of stuff, which is why I'm so. And it's the same frustration that I had with uh, the hateful eight. Like it was a bunch of technical uh, excellence in service of nothing, and that's how I feel about this movie. It's just it's a lot of great work put to uh, put that's used for nothing. Like, um, yeah, I don't agree at all. I
0: think it's something. Like I don't know that I've ever seen a movie, with maybe *Inglorious Bastards* being the outlier here. I think this is the fulfillment of *Inglorious Bastards*, where a filmmaker has said, "I want to do something different, and what I want to do using my the powers at my disposal as a filmmaker is fix this thing that went terribly wrong, like historically, uh, and change the course of." History which based which on I'm one totally
1: event. on board with. I want to see it. that movie. I, I want to see that movie. I did see. It. I, did. I saw it twice. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Um, one other I thing. Saw, I saw somebody trying to make that movie and, uh, and fumbling it.
0: Man, I don't. I'm, I'm not with
1: you on that. And one
0: other thing that I love about the movie, and that's very non-standard Tarantino, is the pacing. Whereas Tarantino movies are very frenetic, typically. This movie has so much space in it. Yeah. And like, I love the driving scenes. Hated. Oh, I love the driving scenes. Why
1: are we still watching this guy drive? Oh, I my love gosh. Him. I love him Please, so much. cut, cut, I,
0: cut. I love him so much. And I love, like, the first scene that you get of Brad Pitt driving from Rick's house to his little trailer.
1: Yeah.
0: I love that it's so long because it tells you how far away Cliff lives from Cielo Drive. Like the point is, this stunt guy lives in this trailer out behind a drive-in theater in the middle of nowhere, and he had. Boy, to drive there's a through. whole lot
1: quicker way and more interesting ways to give me that information. Oh
0: man, not I. I, I love it. Like I sort of luxuriated it. And the scene with. It's Polanski, just indulgent. Nah, well, then I indulged in it because the scene with Polanski and Sharon Tate in their car driving a to, to um, Playboy oh, man. Mansion. Ah. Oh, Beautiful. Yeah, just no. These like spectacular shots of the Hollywood Hills, and ah, uh, no. Like I, I'm totally on board for those movies. I mean, for those scenes. like I,
1: I'm fine with it, like until it goes on and on and on, and I'm sitting there in my seat going, "Why am I watching this?" <laughs> I
0: Why? Love, I, I'm not sure it's possible to have like um, more opposite reactions yeah. to a movie. Like
1: this, it, is, out of all the Tarantino movies, this is the only one. I've ever watched and just thought, why? Why is this happening? Normally, even if I don't know why something's happening, it's interesting and it's captivating and I'm into it. And this one, I was just like, what is going on? This character better be going somewhere. Why are we looking at this girl again in the theater? Holy cow, who is this girl? And it's just like, (laughs) Just things just failing to develop, nothing happens, and then the the end of it all is just an, an orgy of of over the top violence that I almost got up and walked out of because it was so over the top and horrifying.
0: Yeah, um, again, like and for my mind, this is the, this is the violent scene that Tarantino's
1: been working toward. It's the one that justifies all the other ones. And, now, see the way I now hold on. Okay, so. Yeah. In Inglorious Bastards, like, you know, you get this scene of them murdering all the Nazis. Yeah. And uh, in the press for that, you had, you know, lots of, you know, opportunities for Tarantino to talk about how, like, yeah, everybody hates Nazis. You know, we can kill Nazis. And so it's like he's found this this portion of humanity that we feel like it's okay to murder. Correct. And then he's like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to indulge all my murder fantasies. And that's what happens in *Inglorious Bastards*. And I can excuse it in that movie because I feel like that movie is making some real statements about violence, uh, or at least I argue that it does. Yeah. And and I can get past it. And I feel like in this movie, uh, it was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know what? Here is another little portion of humanity that we can justify violence against, uh, you know, mass murderer, serial killer, like uh, Charles Manson people. So let's put them. Let's make a movie around them so that we can murder them in the most interesting way possible. And then he indulges that murder fantasy. And I'm just like, no, I'm out. Like I can't, I, I can't watch you do this. This is, this is not okay with me. Yeah.
0: See, I, I, and once again, complete opposite because knowing what the what actually happened? What, uh, what the Manson family actually did to those people?
1: But I, I don't need to know that. I don't want to know that. What but, I do know is, but what it I did. Sat but but the watched. thing is, it
0: did. It did happen. And like, so that's whether you whether you sort of want to know that or not. The fact is, Tarantino knows it. And so Tarantino's response to that is to say, I'm going to take what they did and I'm gonna flip it and inflict it on them instead. And okay, that, like, that, that to I'm me like, is at least justifiable, like you may not love it, but it's at least
1: justifiable as a choice. Okay, but here is where my real problem comes in. Like if, if it was just the exercise of violence, you know, that he's justifying in some way, okay, I can swallow that. But instead what we get is this indulgence in the fun of violence in which it's funny, and it's clever, and it's filling the theater with laughs, and you know Brad Pitt is high during the whole thing, so he's laughing about it. And it's this—it's just this horrifically dehumanizing thing that is just not. I just I hated it. And, hated and here's it. here's my little
0: pushback to that. And I don't know what the experience was like in your theater during that scene, but this is what it was like both times in my theater. And I saw it with relatively full theaters, which is you get the laughs at the beginning. And then it shifts about halfway through, and the laughs stop. And I think that that's the point. Because I think you're right about the dehumanization of that scene. And then In he fact, pulls out a flamethrower, and everybody's going, hell
1: yeah!
0: The flamethrower, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, the flamethrower is freaking
1: awesome. 14 I, oh fists gosh.
0: of McCluskey flamethrower. I was thrower.
1: so angry at that. <laughs> so <laughs> angry about that. like truly horrified and uh and on top of the fact that you're flamethrowing a girl in a pool like oh my gosh get in the water (laughs) yeah go down just go down (laughs) which was ridiculous anyway oh Uh, like i I just felt dirty i just felt dirty
0: that's interesting to me because i like i'm with you on tarantino's career and the fetishizing of violence and um to me this is his redemption it's the redemption of all of that for me it's the one where i don't but like, i don't feel see, it and, as the,
1: and that's why and that's where i say i'm on board what i want to see is a movie in which those characters that are on the downside of their careers and are you know longing you know to be the men that they portray on screen or whatever i want to see the movie in which they heroically you know defend this girl and change the world and make it a better place um But what I don't want is for it to happen in a way that makes me feel dirty. And and in a way that's... Like, there's some actual redemption there instead of... But that's not what... That's that's not the point. Like, it's not trying... There's no redemption here. Yeah, that's exactly what they're trying to communicate with the Easy Breezy character. Like, as soon as he does this, the gates of heaven open before him. And he strides through, you know, into this new world. You know, uh, like...
0: I, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> the gate of the uh, uh, Polanski estate. Yeah, I get it. But, right, which, in, which no, is but what my, he's
1: desired the whole movie. Right. but is, no, is to my get point, in those
0: gates. My point is to say, oh, that they don't even know that Sharon Tate was the victim, was the potential uh, right. victim. So, yeah, like, I know that. Like, the idea is, this is not, and, and this is the point, I think, that this was not an act of nobility. It was not... Uh, killing oh, Nazis that. to win the war. like That's not what these guys were
1: doing. They were defending themselves. Yeah, They were defending their home. I get I, that, but the, but the meta-narrative is that they are saving the Tate character next door. Right, but not from their perspective. Right, and I don't need it to be from their perspective. I need the com- film to communicate in a clear way what's actually happening, and it doesn't. Well, I wouldn't agree with that. But. Well, I mean, show the movie to any 20-year-old, and they will have no idea what's happened at the end of that movie. Because they won't have any context for understanding the Manson references or the Tate Girl, like there's it's just there's no context there, and the movie doesn't give it to you. Yeah, I, I don't think he wants to give it to you, and I, I don't know if that's
0: like I didn't need it. I like, needed. I, it. I, I didn't need it. I got, like I said, I, I was I sort of barely had heard the name Sharon Tate. I knew the thing that I knew about Roman Polanski was that he was a pedophile that wasn't allowed back in the United States that was all I yep. knew about Polanski. I knew that Manson like had this family and they killed some people and I you know I've sort of seen the mugshot with like the X on the forehead or whatever. Like that's the extent of my knowledge about Manson. So Same I here. D- I didn't go into this thing with with a array of knowledge and none of that troubled me. In fact, all it did was like inspire me to go read and listen and learn
1: and all those things. Well, I guess we're just going to agree to disagree on this one. I just, man, I I loved all the constituent parts of this movie and hated the picture they put together. I will, real quick, just a plug. If
0: anybody's listening to this and you are interested in Manson and Hollywood and Sharon Tate and all those things, there's a great podcast called You Must Remember This. Go back a couple of years. I think it's from 2015. They did a 12-part podcast. Series on Charles Manson's Hollywood. And all of these things are discussed in detail from uh, the friendships with Steve McQueen and Michelle Phillips and Mama Cass and all that to who Charles Manson was, who his family was, how he gathered them, all those things. It's really, really great. It's a long listen, but it's worth it. So if you're interested, that's out there. And that context may make this a better movie. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I I listened to that in between my viewings so whether that made me like it more or less i don't know but uh it definitely changed my appreciation because i i was aware of like what things were accurate and what things he changed the whole uh, george spawn on the spawn ranch with squeaky from like that was all completely accurate to history i mean you know within yeah. reasonable limits that that happened um brad pitt's Stuntman is based on a stuntman that lived on Spawn Ranch, like all that stuff. It's it's all very pulled from from actual events. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot out there that's well, to me is really
1: fascinating. Well, I'm still waiting for Tarantino to grow grow up and make a, a man's movie. <laughs> to me, this yeah. is it. This is and yeah. and you know I don't like to.
0: Uh, this this is in no way a trump card or anything. It's really 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 not. Um, but like. The rest of the world agrees with me, so I'm just saying. (laughs) I've got I've got Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Titanic also won Best Picture. I'm not talking about the Oscars, (laughs) 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 because you know what? I I liked Titanic. (laughs) I did too. (laughs) I didn't like Avatar, but I liked Titanic. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just All right. All right. all right. So, so i I've, so I've given it all the hate I need to give.
0: Yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Um currently playing, go see it if you're uh if you're interested in Tarantino and where he's going in his career. One way or another, you're going to have an opinion about it. You might uh, you might love it, you might hate it, all that stuff. Um and you know, feel free to tweet us at the rabbit room if you agree or disagree with with me or Pete. Um, I'll be ready for that when you agree with me. Pete probably won't publish the won't, Oh my god. I'll probably delete the tweet or something.
1: I would I would win that poll by a landslide. Interesting. <laughs> anyway,
0: so what uh what else is coming up? Now we actually have some good movies that are coming on
1: the horizon. What's coming up that you're excited about? Well, the biggest one for me is Blinded by the Light. Like yep. I just can wait to go see that. So. And it's been out for like 2 weeks now and I haven't seen it either. I know. I know. As soon as Jennifer gets to town, we're off to the theater. So that's the big one for me beyond that. Um, I don't even, I'm not even sure what else is. There? I mean, I know star Wars is coming, Yeah, that's but, funny. uh, it, yeah, I'm so two. out of touch, right? Oh yeah. It, that's that just a couple weeks. Couple weeks.
0: And I'm tonight. I'm going to see a little movie called peanut butter Falcon that wow. has Shia LaBeouf. That looks like
1: it'll be fun. It looks like fun. And it has Shia LaBeouf in it. That yeah. seems unlikely. That dude makes good movies does he yeah he does Does he
0: he makes good weird movies like fun weird movies but this one this one looks pretty straightforward just check out the trailer for it see what you see what you think i'm going to see that with some folks tonight um so i'm excited about that i'm looking through the listings right now and it is a
1: heaping pile of not a heaping pile of tarantino well we should we should talk after blinded by the light yes i'm dying to see it i that also is getting great reviews. Yeah, so, and I know. Um,
0: I'm, I'm excited to see my, the Part of the problem is my whole family wants to go, and so we have to find a time where we can all yeah. go together, which is difficult these days with multiple you know what, teenagers. It would,
1: you know what would make a good podcast would be Blinded by the Light and Yesterday. And yesterday, yeah. Well, Yesterday, um, it might be playing at our like cheap theater right
0: now. I don't know, because we have like a second-run theater. I'm going to try to go see it. And I don't know, it it also might be coming out streaming sometime soon. Okay, so next time, Blinded by the Light. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you at the movies. Bye-bye. All right, bye. That's a wrap on this episode of Fixed in Post, the Rabbit Room podcast about movies. Thanks to Pete Peterson and Andrew Osinga for our theme music. We'll see you next time.